So welcome everybody to this episode of The Talent Fix. My name is Barry Prost and I'm delighted to be joined by uh, John Reardon. John is chairman of Grow Remote. So John, very welcome to this episode of The Talent Fix. But I probably haven't done you justice there with that, that introduction, John. So if you can maybe just give us a few words as part of an intro, that would be brilliant. Great, Barry. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, you're quite correct. My primary role, there's a couple of kind of nonprofits. I'm retired now, officially retired, but I'm actively involved in a ton of really interesting things. And, you know, I'm lucky enough to be able to do that. And you you mentioned Grow Remote. I'm chairman of Grow Remote and have been since its inception. And that's, uh, we can come back and talk about that in a second. The Sanctuary Runners is an organization which I think is, its time is now in Ireland where we use the very simple nature of running and collecting together as a way to integrate folks who are in Ireland seeking international protection or seeking refuge or seeking asylum. And there are many, not just Ukrainian, but from many other parts of the world. And uh, we use, as I said, we use the simplest, very simple thing of running just to get gathered people together in solidarity, friendship, and respect. On the complete flip side, I'm also on one of the committees for the IRFU, the Irish Rugby Football Union, on their commercial and marketing committee. So those three are things that I'm, I suppose, they're passion plays for me. They're things that, that are really interesting. Then on the, a little bit more on the commercial side, I have, I'm involved in a couple of, uh, couple of boards. I'm on the board of a company called Autonomy, which is a, a BPO that is remote first, remote only. And it's a purpose-built remote BPO that spawned, that grew out of, out of the pandemic. I'm also on the board of a company called Boundless, which is an employer for a record company based in Ireland, founded in Ireland by two Irish founders that provides payroll services plus many other HR-related services to companies who are looking to hire people right across the globe. I'm also on the board of a company called Habitus Health that works with, that provides virtual ergonomic assessments to a distributed workforce so that you don't any longer have to have you know, your classic health and safety person going around desk by desk and measuring, you know, the measuring tape and all that kind of stuff, which is the, very much a picture of an old world. And I'm also on the board of a company called Swift Energy. And the reason why this, this ties into all of the remote stuff is as more and more people are spending time at home, we're seeing a lot more emphasis on stuff like in the installation of solar PVs because people are a little bit more attuned to their carbon footprint and staying at home longer and providing, you know, having a good electrical source at home. And we're seeing a nice uptick as we've noticed and with some of the recent government moves to drop the VAT on solar PVs. So, and on top of that, I'm, I'm act as a, an investor and advisor for a couple of other startup companies. So, not much spare time at the moment. <laughs> so, to sum up, John, you're not really retired at all. Basically, uh, yes. Yeah, that's what it I sounds like anyway. Probably- yeah, yeah. To most people's right. definition of the word retired, it doesn't sound like you, you're, you know, it doesn't sound like you're spending your days playing golf. Uh, no, no. So uh, look, and it's it's great to have you, and it's very timely, obviously, because we're just off the back of the Grow Remote Festival slash Summit, which is a two day event in Portlaoise in June. So you might just tell us just a you know a little bit about that and how it went in Portlaoise. Yeah, it was a fantastic event. It was our, we, we had a couple of meetings before. I wouldn't really call them summits. We had one in 2018, which really was the kickoff back in September 2018 in Tralee. We had another one in Tubbacurry in 2019, but they were very early days kind of pulling stuff together. It was lollipop sticks and chewing gum type of events, but it really tapped into a rich vein of interest in 
all things remote. So then you roll on pandemic hits and this was our first opportunity to get out there again post pandemic. What's happened subsequently, as we all know, is the focus on work has changed completely and remote work is now a significant and integral part of every company's, let's call it work offering. So the concept of remote work is mainstream. And what we had in Port Leash was a really interesting and eclectic mix of companies, let's call them employers. We had employees who are currently working remote and people who, and also prospective future employees looking at the remote experience. We had a lot of organizations and companies who were involved in the development of products for remote workers, you know, be it software or platforms that help companies integrate remote workers. And then, of course, we had a quite a number of organizations like the IDA and Enterprise Ireland, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and local councils and a variety of other organizations curious and interested as to how they can get more involved with remote work. The overarching thing in all of this, Barry, is that remote work, we believe, is one of the best community drivers and one of the best drivers of change within communities in Ireland. And that interests everybody. And the challenge really is that nobody, other than probably the government, but it's a very broad and nebulous topic, community, really is focused on community. So we fill that void by trying to be that connective tissue in communities across the country. Brilliant. So you mentioned government there, um, John, and I know the government, I do a little bit of work with the Dublin Chamber on the on the task force, the Labour Task Force. And I know there's, you know, we have the Work-Life Balance Act now in legislation, but I believe the government is doing some work around the remote working code of practice. Like what would your message to, I, I suppose, to any government or, you know, in terms of a, a code of practice and um, what should be included in that? As you'd expect from a contrarian, Barry, what I would expect in this is that rather than calling it a right to request remote work, I'd like to flip it around and say that it should be a right to demand remote work. It should be ingrained. I mean, imagine a world where employers had to, first of all, offer someone the opportunity to do the job remotely and had to request people to come into the office. Now, I say that just to be deliberately aggravational and agitational. Because I think we need to prepare ourselves for that being the case at some stage in the future. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I don't have the crystal ball. But I think if we get ourselves around that mindset, it can really clear up thinking and it can help us do some really kind of systems building in a proper way. If we just look for incremental change from where we've come from, that's all we're going to get, incremental change. But what I'm seeing and hearing are the companies that have started up since March 2020 have taken a completely different approach to everything from not just real estate, but how they're organizing their HR practices, how they're building their culture, how they're building all of their points of connection. And it's radically different to the legacy companies. And it's almost frightening to think that I'm referring to legacy companies as companies that are more than three years and three months old. It's like, it's a bonkers suggestion. You know, these companies are being built in a very different likeness to companies that we've seen before. It is going to be challenging for sure to legislate for, I think. And I mean, certainly my view would be that it should be based around productivity and output metrics um, and obviously, you know, kind of a sense of fairness or, or common sense. Um, I mean, I know you have kind of 
in an ideal world, we would have the right to demand remote work. But you know, talking to sort of HR managers at a recent manufacturing summit, we were spe- I was speaking at, you know, they're kind of pulling their hair out a little bit because they're constantly being faced with the question around remote working and hybrid working. And of course, you can't very well take a product home and make it at home yet, you know? So it does pose challenges for certain companies in certain sectors, I think. One thing I, I think is important, if we just start with the concept that it's a very old school belief that work is a place, and we need to start thinking of a little bit more of a new world view that work is an output rather than a place. I think that sharpens the perspective very clearly. And that brings in just exactly what you said, which is a productivity metric. Because when you think of workplace and you think productivity, the only lens that people can look at productivity is through presenteeism. Was Barry in the office from nine to five? And we, that's, that's a BS metric. But if Barry's working from nine to five at home, and Barry is an engineer, the number of lines of code that you did is a far better metric. And that is, that's what drives a company forward. Not did Barry show up. It's like, did Barry show up and do some work? Absolutely. And this is the prism that we need to look at things through differently. And But if we actually think that that's going to change radically in three years and three months since all this happened, we're deluding ourselves. We're in very early days. And all I would ask companies to do is be a little braver in their thought process be a little bit braver as to what your three and five year plans are. You don't have to go bonkers right now, but be a little bit, think about 2030, not drag 2015 along with you. Sure and simple. Nice way of putting it. And what key trends are you seeing today in the recruitment sector? You know, I've seen many booms and busts and market adjustments in my kind of, I suppose, 35 year working career. I've seen five or six major busts, you know, Ireland was a bust when I when I emigrated back in the late nineteen late early nineteen nineties. I mean, it was sixteen seventeen percent unemployment. Then you had the dot com bubble. You went into nine eleven. You had the global financial crisis in kind of oh seven to oh nine. Didn't really land here in Ireland until probably nine ten. And then you've had the double whammy of the pandemic and Ukraine. But they're just economic cycles. We all know they happen. And what happens is you have the inhalation, the exhalation. We have the boom, the bust. And in each one of those, there have been deep cuts followed by a bounce back. And I think here we are again, and we're at the point of the pendulum swing where when something happens like this, two departments, in my opinion, are get disproportionately hit, training and HR. And it's a case of cut, cut, cut until people cut too deep, and then it's higher, higher, higher. And right now, it's cutting down to the bone. And I do think we've bottomed out. I do think we're starting a rebound. But the question here, or the the point, or my view here, should I say, is that the pendulum is not going to go back to a previous dimension. It's going back to a very different world. You know, I hear from some of my sources that the prospective candidates now are almost always leading with inquiries about location, more so than they are with leading questions on salary. Right now, I'm not part of the recruitment process in any of the companies, but this is what I'm hearing that yeah. location versus salary is far more prevalent. Well, flexible working is certainly top of the agenda when it comes to what candidates are looking for in a move. Correct. You know, a second thing I'm hearing is that, you know, regarding some of the most of the recent major cuts that we've seen by many of the large tech companies, this has led to some really good talent being released into the market. And I spoke with one CEO last week, actually, at the Grow Remote Summit. 
who's now finding really interesting that some of the talent that he is talking to and is hiring is actually better than his existing talent. And he said it's leading him to a really interesting problem because he's having to get, you know, folks are downscaling their salary expectation and they're now going to end up potentially working for people who may have a slightly lower technical knowledge than them. Now, he described this to me as one of the best problems that he's had in the growth of his business. Nice problem to have, for sure. Exactly. And he referred to it as a first world problem. And he said, this is one that does need to be dealt with, but I'm really happy to deal with it. <laughs> Very good. And that's a, just a pure function of um, you know supply and demand in the market. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely correct. And then if we move on to, I mean, you know, what we're seeing today and, and some of the headlines that we're seeing kind of bouncing around, I know there's one that you're aware of, which is the, the sort of the headline figure coming out of LinkedIn research, which suggests that there's now a basically kind of a 50% drop in job postings um, on LinkedIn, you know, year on year. So comparing kind of where we are today compared to this time last year, there's 50% less kind of remote fully remote options. I mean, what are your thoughts? What does that tell you, if anything, about, about what's happening in the market? This to me is down to semantics. This is a, a difference in language. Two and a half, three years ago, the term hybrid virtually in terms of work virtually didn't exist. People weren't talking about hybrid options in March 2020. Go back and have a look. It just wasn't a topic. It wasn't discussed. It became a kind of a, a word du jour late 2020, early 2021. So clearly, What's happened here is the number of pure remote jobs or pure remote jobs that are being advertised has gone down quite significantly. But the overall pool of jobs that were, let's refer to them as distributed, as in non-office based, that grouping has got a whole lot bigger, significantly bigger. If you go and look at the, the most obvious and seminal research in this space is by a guy called Professor Nick Bloom in Stanford. And he has a, a website called WFHresearch.com. Okay. And it is the absolute oracle of everything to do with work from home. And Nick Bloom has been studying this and researching it for nearly 20 years. So his data source goes back an awful long time. And clearly what he's saying is we've plateaued in and around 28 to 29% of all workdays in the US and use that as a good proxy for the rest of the world let's call it almost 30% of workdays are being worked at home. Now, that's not 30% of people, that's 30% of workdays. What it means really is you've got about 10% of people who are fully working from home. Yeah. And you have about 50% of people who will never be able to work from home because they're manufacturing based, they're teachers, they're cops, you name it. So they, they can't do it. But then there's this 40% in the middle and that 40% is about half and half. They're working approximately two and a half days. So you take 10%, half of 40, and none of the 50. And guess what you get? Approximately 30% of the days. And that has been consistent. So when you hear headlines that say the number of remote jobs has gone down, it's purely a semantic difference. It is not an actual difference. You will not see that in what I would call the proper academically reviewed and peer-reviewed data sources that are out there. Okay, very good. So it's a uh, a headline, but to be taken in context. So to plant another kind of flag on that is I would treat headlines like that the same way I would treat exhortations from Elon Musk that remote work is immoral. Yeah. It's on the same vein as that because I, I always question the source. I look at the headline. I, my 
take on most headlines is there's a vested interest behind the headline. What is it? And once you can peel away the vested interest and see the underlying data, that's when you kind of go, ah, okay, I think I know what they're talking about. For sure, for sure. I think he'd like you to bring your sleeping bag to work. So, um, yes. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Different worldview for sure. Okay. And then in terms of if we talk about now recruitment challenges and look at what challenges do you think are facing businesses from a recruitment perspective? Or what, where do you see the key obstacles for businesses today? I look at remote evolution in almost, to try to be simplistic about it, almost in software terms. Remote 1.0 for many companies was March 2020 and could probably be described as, oh shit, what do we do now? And that really was the, like the, the shit hit the fan and people were just did whatever. I've heard crazy stories of one particular company I know who called a taxi uh, company and had and said, keep on sending taxis to our offices. Just keep on sending them. And they put a person and a computer and all the equipment in each taxi as it came up on the rank. And they said, keep sending us taxis until we've got everybody and every bit of equipment at home. And that has repeated in quite a number of places. So I refer to that as let's not drown. That was remote 1.0. Okay. Then remote yep. 2.0, which I think we're barely scratching the surface of, is all about how well companies have adapted the relatively basic pre-pandemic technologies around their own modest knowledge of how to best do remote. And it's kind of, I refer to this as 2.0 as treading water. And I think a lot of companies are still in that treading water. Remote okay. 3.0 is actually underway right now in parallel and is, is actually being driven by smart companies who are building distributed work with real intention. They've asked themselves the question, if the majority of my potential workforce neither live near here nor want to move to here, the physical location or the, the epicenter of where a company is, and this cohort of potential candidates or actual employees have a track record of executing in a distributed manner, how then would I build a company from scratch to optimize that labor force and the behaviors of that labor force? You know, if we went from not drowning to treading water, I would call this 3.0 as companies training for a triathlon, right? They're incorporating remote work as an and. It's an additive function. It's not an or. It's not do I go office or remote. It's how do I incorporate and add remote work to my overall offering so I get the best possible outcome. And I think the challenge, in my opinion, for companies is having the humility and the common sense to recognize that they're on that remote throughout old track, which is treading water, but then having the smarts to lean in and work out how and when to jump to remote 3.0, which is a remote work, sorry, a model of work where it's deeply intentional. The worst case scenario, which I still see and hear, would be best described as, let me continue to bang this square peg into that round hole. Let's hope no one notices how suboptimal it is. Let's all pretend to have this narrative that it's actually a good solution. And I promise you, there are still companies doing that, and it's not smart. So to me, it's really that whole thing about how do you get onto mode 2.0, which is trying to do it better? And how do you recognize what's the best way? And how do you make that jump to remote 3.0, which is how do I do it with intent so that it becomes a really powerful part of my artillery and not just this thing that we have, which is vacuous and is a PR stunt? It's really interesting to put it in that sequence, John. And to sum it up or to finish off, you know, if you kind of had that crystal ball and if you were to look to the future, where does the future lie 
even if you want to talk about it from a recruitment perspective or remote, give us your final thoughts on where you see this settling. Where do you think we're going to be in 10 years' time? I think what we're going to see over the next course of the next couple of years is kind of a tug of war between employers and employees, where really it's a case of arbitraging the difference between what employers want and what employees want. And this is up to now has been largely in the frame of salary and basic and salary, but now it's a little bit more nuanced. We're talking about salary and lifestyle, and for want of a term that probably triggers some people, it's work-life balance. It's salary and lifestyle where people are saying, I have an expectation that the way in which I work is going to be taken into account. And if I happen to prove to you that I can work significantly the same, if not better, from a remote location and it's additive to the company, then I need you to lean into my needs as well. That's the first thing. Second one is how prepared are companies and recruiters to lean into the great candidates that may be asking the questions or making or maybe making requests that, to be honest with you, five years ago, Barry would have been classified as needy or millennial in nature. And we have to understand, right, that there's a knuckle dragger in all of us. Okay. And we all, a lot of us would be like, oh, gee, that's so, such a needy thing. But you kind of need to lean into it and go, hang on. If this is going to be asked by a significant number of people, maybe I am actually the dinosaur and I need to recognize and understand. Okay. And I think, you know, the exhortations and the pronouncements that we're hearing from some very senior people in, particularly in the US, would indicate that they have no interest in ever working remote. And the same CEOs, Barry, I find this the funniest of all. The people who are the most remote employees in the world are the high-end CEOs who are jetting around the world all the time and are living that peripatetic itinerant lifestyle of a remote worker, but they're doing it at a ridiculous cost to their companies, yet they will not afford that opportunity to people at the lowest level in the company. So personally, I'd like to finish it off by saying I don't like the term work-life balance, but I do prefer the term work-life choice. And I think the companies that lean into a work-life choice and actually have a conversation about current and future employees, have a conversation with, should I say, current and future employees about work-life choice are the companies that are going to get the keys to the kingdom in 2030. Okay. Well, on that note, John, I'd just like to thank you for your time. It's been really enlightening and great to have you on. So I'd just like to thank John for coming on today. I know I've kept you a few minutes longer than I'd promised. And uh, please do check out www.growremote.ie and also well worth checking out that site that John mentioned, wfhresearch.com for more information on, um, on working from home. So thank you, everyone. And check us out where you get your podcasts on iTunes and uh, Spotify. Thank you very much, Barry. I really enjoyed it. Super. 